they sell newspapers and they are clickbait. So it's often quite difficult to encourage the mass media to look for the positive. But in terms of building a better society, I think when we see something going in an upward trajectory, we're more likely to get on board and want to help. Hello and welcome to the Together Podcast, a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. I'm Chris and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by Kat and James. How are you both doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. Yeah, very good, thank you very much. James, this is your first time back on a podcast for a while. How are you feeling? You feeling excited? Was this something you were like dreaming of? Oh, every every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is I woke up this morning, I was like, yes, come on. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to have you back. On this episode, we'll be chatting to the co-founder of Podium, Camilla Bike. Podium is a team of young journalists who use their smartphones to record the stories and opinions of under-25s from all around the world. Dan chatted to her about how it all started and how young adults can start their own DIY podcast. But before we hear from them, it's time for What in the World? This is What in the World, where we discuss some of the big talking points from recent news stories. Kat, what are we talking about today? So, in October, the protests in Chile escalated to dangerous levels, with at least 18 civilians being killed. The protests were started by students standing against the increase in public transportation costs. This might seem like a simple reason to protest, but it comes after continued increases in cost of living, while wages and pensions stay low and education rights and public health facilities remain lacking. The country is experiencing devastating inequality and the transportation costs was just the straw that broke the camel's back. The president, Sebastian Pinera, has since called a state of emergency where certain public liberties have been suspended and the military are guarding the streets of several regions in Chile. What are your thoughts on all of this? Uh, yeah, Pretty crazy. I saw the first thing I saw of it was um, I saw a video of loads of students blocking, not blocking. They were like kind of standing in the in the tube station, their metro station, whatever their version of it's called, and they were just letting loads of people like get in for free and they're like just go go go. And I saw that and I thought that's pretty cool. Mm. That was my my that was my initial reaction. And I think it's interesting as well because we were just talking off air. We were talking a bit about the about Extinction Rebellion. And when they blocked the tube, like actually I thought, well, this makes more sense to me because it kind of, I guess it it hits the, it hits the powers and authorities, not the people instead. Mm. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah. And I think it points to this this kind of almost something within the bones of all young people, which I think if we look throughout history, we see that high amount of protests have been led by young people. We've got the student protests against Hitler, we've got the student protests against the junta in Burma, all all throughout history there's almost something within the DNA, I think, of young adults which um wants to to almost turn the table upside turn, turn mm. everything upside down when they see a problem with power. Yeah. They do, young people don't have a problem with calling out the problems and abuses in power and turning the tide and speaking a different narrative. Uh, and I think what we see from here is kind of that kind of DNA, that story continued mm. uh, as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like, 
I don't know about you, but for me, like growing up, it feels like through school, church, just TV, everything, you're kind of like taught about what the world is supposed to look like. Mm. It's supposed to be this very happy place and everyone gets along. It's beautiful. But then you get older and you're like, it's really not that at all. So I think like it's that initial almost like kickback from that of just seeing like, nah, the world is not how it's supposed to be. And I'm kind of like outraged about it or I'm passionate about doing something to change it. Whereas I guess the older you get, like, <laughs> not that it's like some like one rule for everyone, but generally I feel like the older you get, the just more used to stuff you get, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I think as a young person as well, I feel like it's almost like you have, you don't have as much to lose, you could say. Like, mm. not that we have loads to lose when we get older, but I think you get into this bubble of life and family and having a house you get into this bubble of what an ideal life looks like and that's what you strive towards instead of looking at a bigger picture and you kind of surrender everything around yourself rather than the world and the other people around you so I think it's pretty I don't know it's pretty incredible to see young people really step to it and I think um we had a conversation with um, Joe Richards on our recent YouTube channel, on our um, recent YouTube video on um, about all about Generation Z, and I feel like they are very much, a, a very much driven and passionate about the issues of today's um, world. That maybe we didn't really know the reality of it as much mm-hmm. as they do now, and how evident it is that when they grow up it it may not be there may not be a world yeah. to grow up in so yeah i think i get really encouraged seeing young people actually stand up for what they believe in even if the leaders aren't and stuff yeah for sure and i think i think with this one i mean the issue in chile it's like a it's an issue everywhere isn't it really just like inequality um i've like seen it you see it here in the uk you see it in other countries to different extremes but it is crazy when you just think about like you know someone could be struggling to eat and in that same country probably like even like like three three four like meters away or whatever there's someone who is like rich like balling out of their socks do you know what i mean like they have mm. too much money and it's that weird thing of like i know people i think a lot of people get really quite sensitive about about money, money they make through, like, working and stuff. And I get it. Like, if you make your money, yeah, sure, of course you would enjoy it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have money, but I do think, like, our societies are built up in a way where it's never going to be equal. It's always going to be, like... There's always going to be the extremes of extreme wealth and extreme poverty. And I think think at the moment we're seeing, within our own country, this this notion that... And this rhetoric that is building up that we have to put our needs first, that it's about it's about us, it's about our needs first. And there's nothing wrong with looking after ourselves. Mm. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. What I am questioning, though, or what I've been thinking of recently is does that narrative, does, does that narrative therefore mean that we, we don't actually look out for the other? And and I think in in you know when we look at the way of Jesus and we see within the scriptures people that that um, Jesus encounters that had a lot of wealth that when they distribute their wealth when they start distributing their possessions it's because they have a heart transformation mm-hmm. you know you look at Zacchaeus or or Matthew who are both tax collectors and they give away part of their wealth after encountering Jesus mm-hmm. and I and I think actually. 
the the kind of conversation around generosity, for example, as Christians, is about the fact that we should be generous with what we have, whatever that is. And I think that's very, very different to what we're seeing um, in the situation in Chile, in our own country, with the narrative of putting ourselves first. Mm. The way of Jesus should, in theory, give us almost a bit of a heart transformation that we put the needs of others before our own needs. Don't know where that conversation will <laughs> land in this kind of looking forward, but yeah, like it is like it's super countercultural. I think it's almost like well, our system is like a capitalist system in which it is almost like every man for himself, like just just get as much as you can. And I don't know, I, I, there's arguments to say that you know since we've been under strongly under capitalist systems in the West that actually we have seen a reduction in extreme poverty worldwide. Um, so there are arguments for it, but at the same time, I don't know, I just, for me, it just doesn't see it, sit as something that will ever truly uh, look out for everyone in need. Like, I feel like capitalism is almost like based, in order for it to work, it needs people that uh, don't don't get a good output from it if that mm. makes sense. Someone has to get crushed so that everyone else can kind of cheer. Mm. Yeah. I think I think there's also a call, and this is something I'm really chewing on recently, a call to almost put our money and our actions where our mouth is. And I think that the danger for maybe a justice community and, and a group of people who want and long to see justice happen is we can very much talk, talk about it but how do our do our lives marry up to our talk? And mm. I've been so challenged because I've been looking at my own life and actually going, am I really mm. working and living and my finances all investing, going all in to seeing this restoration thing happen? Mm. Or do I just talk about it a lot? And, and like, <laughs> almost sometimes yeah. like the sound of my own voice on it. Um, but am I really putting my money and my action where my mouth is? And I think that is a challenge for us all when we look at stuff like this in the world, that we can sometimes, we we can even sometimes just, our action can just be sign a petition. Mm. And we, we offset our justice. Uh, we look at that news report, we look at that thing, we offset our justice mm. to thing, and we think we've done our justice thing. Whereas, um, one of the things I'm struggling is, what does it look like in my life to make justice, at, to mean if we're seeing that redistribution of wealth, seeing that kind of living to see an end to poverty, mm. what does that look like in me every single day, living that out rather than just kind of almost doing a tick box yeah. activity? And I think it's really easy to do that, especially with social media around. I think social media creates this almost like bubble where people... I talk about bubbles a little bit. Um, it creates this... It's kind of world where people talk about things that, you know, they say they're passionate about and share things that other people post about, you know, poverty, about the climate change. But actually, how much of it is taken into action, like, you know, you said, James, is how much of it actually is more than just a post on Instagram, it's more than just a comment or a like. But how many people actually go out and talk to their school teachers or school students mm. or universities 
I heard this um, cool thing. I think we mentioned it in one of the podcasts earlier about, um, you know, universities taking their diff- their finance and investing into something else because what they were initially investing into wasn't really um, ethical, that students were like, no, we don't want to stand for this. So I think things like that can really make a massive change and shift the society slightly differently where it's not just all kind of shallow um shallow actions i guess yeah because like if jesus was around today i mean he is he's, he's bigger than us but if jesus <laughs> was physically walking around uh would he be on twitter would he be on instagram i think he would be i think he'd have, yeah. like, he'd have a banging profile uh, <laughs> the grid would be on lock but <laughs> i think as well he'd be he'd be on the streets you know what i mean he'd yeah. be active and like when you even think about that part in the bible uh, where he was turning over tables in the temple, the guy he like he sat down for a while and made a whip. <laughs> like he was literally mm-hmm. like, "Okay, this isn't right. Give me a few minutes," <laughs> and then came <laughs> back. Do you know what I mean? And so it's actually like, like you said, number one, are we doing enough with just like, are we actually following through with our words? And number two, what does that actually look like when you do? Because mm-hmm. I mean, in the in this case, like when we talk, when we go back to Chile, it was quite. It did kind of mirror that, really. You know, they were destroying public you know, the public barriers that would stop people getting into the train and on one side you could say yeah that's reckless like vandalism mm. but on the other side it's kind of like well i don't know jesus <laughs> he's like our, our archetype for kind of mm. how to live a good human life and he did this a similar thing mm. and I, I i think there is that that thing with public kind of public damage that you've got this the, I would probably say almost sometimes an unnecessary public damage, mm. but I think mm. there is, there's almost with that breaking of the barriers to let people through. There's almost a, maybe even something kind of prophetic in that that shames mm. the system, yeah. which is oppressing people. Mm. With Jesus, he was turning over tables which were filling greed in the temple, but also left out people in poverty that they didn't feel they could mm. enter into mm. the presence of God. And I think uh, I'm less, I, I would probably, I, I would question more vandalism for vandalism's sake just mm. because yeah. we're angry mm. and thinking what is the creative and potentially prophetic action which would speak did that different kind of story we were talking about mm. earlier into a space uh, that that would then also make people think about their actions. What shames mm. the system? What would do more damage to the system rather than necessarily just the property? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really good. And I, I did hear, and I think sometimes it's it's when you're talking about that, um, it's about the system. I was reminded of a story, and I think sometimes when we when we think about we're in a system which is broken, we sometimes need to think of creative solutions. Mm. And there's a church in East London that uh, kind of got artists, local artists, to design these banknotes and sold these banknotes that local artists had created as a church off, they'd auctioned them off. They raised £20,000, oh, wow. um, which is quite a, quite a good a lot, fundraising yeah. technique. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, they then used that money to buy bad debt. So people in poverty in this country that are in debt and, and that um, just grows and grows and grows and they can't buy it. So they, they bought a million pounds worth of debt. I don't really know how it worked, but with £20,000, they bought a million pounds worth of debt and then just wiped it off. Wow. So they just took people's... like and, and I think that kind of system, the system would say those people have to remain in mm. debt. 
But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we want to tell, we want to turn the system on its head, I think sometimes that might mean a bit of creative thinking out of the box. Yeah. Like mm. the whether or not that is breaking the barriers, whether or not that is raising money to buy off debt. I'm not sure what that would necessarily look like in our lives because mm. I think that's the whole idea of creative. It's not kind of like a one-size-fits-all yeah. approach. But it's definitely something that i thinking about how to how to kind of live out in my own life. Definitely. So James will be breaking down barriers. This week. Yeah, no, it's good though. I think it is a, it's a challenge and I think, yeah, it's when I'm, I guess we're not here just saying, yeah, go break something. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. we are saying, yeah, think creatively and I think mm. that's the, I think that's the crux of it. And even like in our response to stuff like this, because it's difficult when you're far away from something and you kind of feel like, well, what I can do is pray about it. Number one, prayer is extremely powerful. So please do pray about it and don't be like, don't be apologetic about that. But also, yeah, get creative and think, you know, how can I spread awareness of this? How can I help this situation in whatever way I can? Um, and yeah, we don't have all the answers, uh, but hopefully I, I do believe amongst our generation, like we said right at the beginning, I do believe there are people who are at least inspiring the questions for us to get answers to. So we're going to wrap it up there for What in the World. Uh, we're now going to listen to Dan and Camilla's chat about all things podium, all things journalism. Hope you enjoy it. Hi Camilla, great to have you here. First up, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, the kind of headlines of who you are? I'm a journalist, um, I'm a producer, I've done a bit of presenting, and I'm a linguist. Great. And so have you always been into journalism? Has that been something that you've done from a kind of young age? I have. Um, rather embarrassingly, I used to make my own radio programmes when I was five or six, pressing <laughs> nice. play and record on a, on a tape recorder. So I was endlessly interviewing my friends when they came around for play dates. So yes, yeah. journalism has been definitely a big passion of mine my whole life. I can, I can relate to that. I was... Uh, recording songs off the radio at a young age and I think everyone's been there yeah. <laughs> and then adding the little uh, the DJ things at the end and exactly just, yeah yeah I was less into music but more into you know what do people want to talk about so sure. uh, just endless chat yeah and then you studied journalism did you I didn't study journalism. I actually studied languages. I did uh, French okay. and Italian literature. And okay. for me, that was all about stories. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of theatre. And uh, I wanted to know how people could tell stories in a really effective way. So it sort of led into journalism, but it wasn't yeah. specifically that way. OK. And how did you get into journalism as a profession then? So obviously recording radio shows and hearing about stories and learning about stories through linguistics and language. And then w- when was your first kind of interaction with the profession of journalism? At university, we had a student newspaper and I applied to be the travel editor. I just basically wanted to you know, do a bit of um, swanning around. So <laughs> I, I, I used to write articles about you know, interrailing and things like that. Okay. So that was my first experience of print journalism. And it wasn't until I left university and thought, help, I better get a job, that I started looking at other broadcast media. And I ended up working for the BBC as a researcher on a television programme. Okay, great. And so how how did you find the university paper prepared you for life as a journalist? Was that 
helpful thing to do or, well, or make, was it literally just you wanted to see a bit of Europe and see so you thought no <laughs> you make a lot of mistakes yeah. uh, I, I did a, an interview once and I hope this doesn't happen to you now and when I actually forgot to press record okay and uh, yeah I just double checked <laughs> and um, you, you don't make that mistake twice in your career yeah um, I also learned about deadlines and the fact that you know if someone doesn't come up with the goods you're probably going to have to cover for them so it's it's a good experience to do student journalism before you get into a real job Yes, sure. And so um, we'll get onto this in a little bit, but you, you've started a podcast platform called Podium, which helps young people share their voices. Is that something that, that kind of goes back to those university days when you were um, heavily involved in storytelling? And that's something that you've always wanted to do f- for yourself. And so you've created a platform now to enable others to do it. It's funny, when I imagine uh, my youth and I think wow if podcasting had been available then would I be doing what I'm doing now the answer is definitely yes Mm -hmm. but I've got to say that when I had the idea for Podium I hadn't really heard about what a podcast was Um, so six years ago people saying are you running a radio station you know what is this is it YouTube channel I said no it's podcasting what's that Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people would say so I've um, I've fallen into this medium and it's definitely the best platform for the work that I'm doing but it's 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 a nice serendipity that podcasting is a big thing now and that we've chosen it. Yeah, and it's it's obviously because it's become so mainstream and so accessible, it's almost the go-to platform, isn't it, for all kinds of people, but for, for brands and organisations and charities, but for individuals who have a, a particular interest or hobby. It just seems like a natural fit for that kind of thing, doesn't it? It is. The danger is that everybody thinks they can run a podcast and there's some yeah. real rubbish out there, which I'm sure you've experienced. So yeah. I generally go on recommendations and uh, we try and make our podcast as high quality as possible. We allow every topic to be covered, but the quality is really important. Sure. I saw your TED talk, which was fascinating and, and amazing. How? What was the experience like? Can you tell us firstly the topic, but then what it's like to be involved as a, a speaker on, on TED? I had a lot of deliberation on what to call my TED Talk because you're thinking, what are people going to Google and how am I going to get lots of listens or watches? And I eventually came up with, you already know how to change the world, what's stopping you? Mm. Which is great. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. The topic is literally conversation. Um, I've been brought up by um, some very chatty um, ancestors and my grandfather taught us that it was rude to sit on a bus and not talk to the people either side (laughs) of you. Um, And so that has been my my experience and I've never yet had anyone who doesn't want to have a conversation and what I've found is the more you talk to people who are not like you the better you hopefully understand the world so I was really just sharing some tips about how to start conversations even if it feels a bit awkward and how it becomes slightly addictive. Sure and then that relates to having those conversations and helping people realise they can change the world? It does and what I do when people come and do work experience at podium.me is I push them out of their comfort zone a lot and by the end of the week they are able to network they're able to go up to strangers on the street and ask them for their opinion and record it and I watch the confidence grow and the understanding of you know what other people think yeah and how is the experience of giving a TED talk absolutely terrifying (laughs) you have to memorize it so you know I think it was 17 minutes and I was uh, looking for some kind of prop so that i had something to do with my hands because I Mm -hmm. wanted to be sort of waving them around 
And so I ended up, if you watch the talk, um, holding a jar. If you watch, because I talk about um, collecting stories. And so there was a bit of a metaphor there of, of putting them in my jar. But mm-hmm. if you look very closely, I've actually written um, the heading for each paragraph on a label on the jar, which I never <laughs> actually had to use. But I knew it was there as yeah. a prop and as an aid memoir in case I needed it. So sure. it was frightening. But the exhilaration afterwards was amazing. Great. And we'll put the link to the TED Talk in the show notes of the podcast as well. So if anyone's listening and wants to check that out and see how you got on with your props, um, then they can have a, a little look there. So obviously the, the topic of that being about wanting to change the world, um, does that tie in? I saw you went to Sri Lanka in 2010. Does that kind of tie in with the same narrative? Can you tell us a little bit about what you saw and your experience of going somewhere so different to, to what we experience here? Well, I've done quite a few trips and um, I've done them with my children because I wanted to show them different parts of the world and education systems in different parts of the world and ways that they could just make a small difference. And in Sri Lanka, we had a friend who was working with street children uh, in Kandy in the centre of the country. And we went and taught some lessons and hung out with the children. And I made a little film that we could then show back at, in primary schools in the UK And really, it's about telling other people's stories. So Mm -hmm. just the experience of being with somebody who's got a very different life experience to you. I was privileged enough to be able to go and do that with my children. I wanted to tell that story to as many people as possible when we got back. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you have to people who who want to share stories similar to to that and to to try and give a global perspective of um, of life that we don't often get here because there's a lot of a lot of people in in the community that we speak to um, who who really get it and really understand that that to change the world we need to be connected to people living in poverty people living on the other side of the world like how how can we do that when we're based here in the UK and it's it's quite difficult for us to get across some of the stories from from around the world so many stories are told from a negative perspective and I believe in telling things in a positive way. So when I try and tell a story, I look for the joy, I look for the hope, I look for the progression towards something better. And that's never that hard to find because there are incredible pockets of work going on around the world and if you're based in the UK, you can certainly find out about them and continue to share those stories. Social media is amazing. So when you see something positive and exciting that's going Mm on, you know, click share and click, you know, share on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then other people get to hear about it. So it doesn't matter where you are, you can be a part of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And how how did the video that you shot in Sri Lanka and took to primary schools, how did that go down? Was that good at, at connecting young people with, with what was happening over there? I think it was. And I think it was surprising to people that there was such a positive story to be told. Um, the fact that these young children desperately wanted to learn, they certainly were having a more positive view of education than many children do in this country so I I like to break those myths and also the fact that my children at the time were sort of eight five and two and you can go and travel with young children and that even brings more of an impact when Mm -hmm. you come home because people think oh maybe I could do that with my family so Mm -hmm. I wanted to open those possibilities. Sure and where else have you been then you say you've traveled a, a fair bit? So we took the kids to India when they were four and two and, and worked in an orphanage there um, in the, the foothills of the Himalayas. So that was quite an exciting experience, living in a tent. We've also been to Ecuador and worked in Quito um, in a similar environment where they were looking for forever homes for babies who'd been um, abandoned in rubbish dumps. So it, it's been a, a quite a, an education, um, spending time with 
those who work in these places full time. But every time we learn something new and our children hopefully are able to share those stories with the people back home. Yeah, definitely. That, that's so important as well as seeing that experience firsthand and then being able to communicate it kind of when, they, when we're coming back. So um, did in, in those trips, obviously they were kind of family based trips and you went out and you were very practical and, and helped in those situations. Was there any involvement in terms of journalism or your, your the, the profession that you had in uh, in those environments or was it more just work and family? Everywhere we went I made a film so yes okay. there was the journalism um, point of view but I didn't want to just be an observer uh, I would always talk to them and say how can we help you what kind of messages can we send back it might be fundraising or just make growing awareness of the work that they were doing mm-hmm. one of the projects in Sri Lanka is actually uh, employing women who would have been tea pickers um, but employing them in a new industry which is using natural vegetables and fruit to dye material and export that abroad so a really positive story of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. of new business and I'm doing whatever I can to help promote that it's called AMA A-M-M-A and the work that my contact out there is doing is a, a totally amazing mm-hmm. and it's such a privilege to be able to use your position as a journalist and other skills as well to, to help that so thinking a bit about journalism and the power of the media do you do you think enough is being done to spread a positive story of what's happening around the world? You, you know, you say your advice is to to always find the positive story. So sometimes we can feel quite overburdened by the things that we see in the news. Do you do you think journalism is is kind of acting up to the responsibility of of sharing the positivity? Sadly, not. Uh, there's only one publication that fits the bill, and it's called Positive News, and I'm yeah. a great um, <laughs> fan of theirs. But uh, sadly, it, you know. It, People like sad stories and they sell newspapers and they are clickbait. So it's often quite difficult to encourage the mass media to look for the positive. But in terms of building a better society, I think when we see something going in an upward trajectory, we're more likely to get on board and Mm. want to help than if we see it going down and we feel it's hopeless and Mm. what on earth can we do so we do nothing. So in terms of engagement, I think a positive story statistically is definitely um, more effective in getting people involved. Mm. And the one thing we've spoken about a little bit here is how the media has the power to focus on some areas but seemingly ignores other similar issues so we've spoken about the highlighting Notre Dame and you know maybe ignoring some other things and even in the uh, recent Amazon fires obviously forest fires being a problem on other continents and in other areas but they tend to get overlooked quite a lot from your experience as a, a journalist is there a is there a solution to that in in the media industry or is that always just going to be the way where a couple of the larger media companies are controlling what what we can engage with and, and hear from? Um, if, I, if it's not arrogant to say, I think Podium.me is part of the solution. Um, we're training our young journalists aged 15 to 25 to look at the stories that are directly around them. So that may be something that's literally going on in their school, or it might be something that's happening uh, to an uncle who lives in Jamaica. So we are working on the local so that Every story has the right to be told. We're not looking for listener numbers. We're not commercial. We're run as a social enterprise. So we're giving freedom to young journalists to think about the stories that are actually around them and not follow the sheep of the mass media, which Mm -hmm. tends to focus on just particular stories. So I hope that with our team of over 600 and growing daily, that we will have an influence on the journalism of the future. 
Great. And this seems like a good point to, to talk about Podium. So can you take us back to the, the time you started it? And um, obviously, like you say, you're, you're giving young people a voice and encouraging them to see what's happening around them. Um, what was that birthed out of and, and how did it start? It's, it's a good story, even if I say so myself. But um, I was out of work at the time, had a young baby, and the Clapham Junction riots happened at the end of my road. And so what do I do as a, as a journalist? I go down there um, with the only equipment I had, which was my iPhone. Um, so it was the following morning, and I could see lots of young people clearing up the mess outside Dixon's. There was lots of broken glass, and there'd been a lot of looting going on in the area. So I immediately went up to them and said, has anyone spoken to you, any of these newspaper crews that are all here, and CNN and Sky were all camped out? And they said, no, why would they talk to us? And I said, well, surely you're the story. You're the young people who are clearing up your own town centre. And they said, well, nobody ever wants to know what we've got to say. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I do. Look, um, let's, let's record something. And they looked terribly shy and said, no, 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 we don't want to be recorded. So I said, well, how about just your voices? OK, they agreed. And I got my phone out, didn't even know how to find a voice memo app, so <laughs> handed it to one of them and said, look, you sort this out, what do we do? And he ended up interviewing one of his friends with me sort of feeding questions. And I had this really powerful audio and I thought, what do I do with it? Where, where do I send this? Who's going to listen to it? And I couldn't find a platform that was suitable and accessible and quick enough to get mm-hmm. out there that day, which is why I started Podium. Great. And you, um, in something I read, you described the internet as a playground. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how Podium fits in? Yes, it's a playground or it's a jungle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Podium, Podium likes to sit on all the branches. So we can't be put in a box. We're not a youth platform because we also speak to grown-ups. We pitch programme ideas to Radio 4 and the World Service. We're not uh, a radio station that is peer-to-peer because podcasts can be reached all over the world and downloaded by anybody so we want to be in the the sort of ecosphere of where everybody else is and so if that's in a secondary school being played out in a geography lesson great if it's on Mm -hmm. um i don't know capital radio that's great too Mm -hmm. and so i'm just picturing you on clapham high street with your phone was it at that moment you kind of realized the simplicity of of journalism kind of stripping it right back to its essence and then obviously the new platform of podcasting is is very much a part of that um was it kind of eye-opening to you the potential of of audio and podcasting at that point as i said earlier i'd never heard of podcasts really (laughs) so no i can't say it was a moment of genius but it was definitely a spark that lit in me and i thought right i need to find a way of getting these stories out And then I began this journey of research. I spent the whole of that summer Googling youth radio, youth projects, audio projects. And it wasn't until I started meeting up with some experts in the field who gave me fabulous advice that I came across the I came upon the idea of um, working on a podcast platform and I got mm-hmm. together with another mum from the local school and we formed a partnership and we were able to really forge that together. Yeah and this it, it very much challenges some of the fundamentals of journalism doesn't it because um, like we've been saying it's so easy just to distribute the, the audio and distribute the stories um, it, it kind of shifts the model a little, a little bit and gives the power to the to the journalists and to the, to the young people was that very much an intention of what Podium was was setting out to do? It was. And we have a um, a saying, we say no selection, no rejection. And that works in two contexts. One, um, when people apply to Podium, they can always 
find a role and something they can do. Um, so there's no great long application form. I couldn't care less what GCSEs you have or haven't got. I'm all about attitude and aptitude. And secondly, in terms of the topics that we cover, there's no selection, no rejection. So you can pitch the most ridiculous idea and we will help you make it. So I don't choose, I don't commission programmes. I very much receive your ideas and then help you to make them. And how do you balance um, that with, with training young journalists as well? Do you, I, I assume there's, there's some kind of guidance available and, and you help them create their best work? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, knowledge that you need before you set out to do an interview. Um, legal requirements such as getting the consent of the person that you talk to, uh, defamation, making sure you don't let them say something that's not true about somebody else, and various things to just keep our journalists safe and out of trouble. Um, but beyond that, it, a lot of the training is practical. It's confidence building. It's how to do a vox pop, how to talk to somebody that you've never spoken to before, How to follow the tangent is one of the big things that we train on. So you may have a list of questions that you want to ask, but your interviewee may go off on a complete tangent and we say follow that because that might be a bigger story than the one you were looking at. Absolutely. And so those skills are essential for someone looking to start out in kind of podcasting. What kind of advice would you give alongside those skills uh, to somebody who is passionate about sharing stories like you were starting out? What advice would you give? Don't settle for anything other than the best. Edit yourself. Cut out all the waffle. Make sure that you're actually talking to an imagined audience. You're not just talking for your own gratification. Think about who might enjoy listening to your story. Don't interrupt when you're interviewing somebody. Let them have space. There are so many things that you learn just through experience. I sometimes think I don't know very much, but then I think it's just the years of practice that Mm. gives you the experience. So get out there and talk to as many people as possible. Mm, That's good. And how do you feel the young generation are um, equipped to make a real difference and change the world? So on Friday, we saw the climate strikes and millions and millions of people around the world just adding their voice to try and persuade politicians, big organisations to do something different. There seems to be a real shift that's happening. and We're on the cusp of, of something at the moment with young people, young adults really speaking up for what they believe in. Is that something we've always seen through history or does this feel like something that's a little bit different? I think we go through cycles. I think when I was a teenager, there wasn't a lot of activism going on. I don't think we had the platforms to do it. What would you do? You'd write a letter to the Times or something. Mm -hmm. We weren't really doing that in our droves. So I think the platform is there. um, The urgency is there. The messages are being given by very media appealing types like Greta Thunberg and other young people who are not afraid of standing up and letting their views be known. So I think it's a bit of a perfect storm right now. I hope it continues. Um, There's a worry that people could get demoralised and think, well, nothing's changing. I suppose the next step is for those people to actually go into politics to influence from the inside rather Mm -hmm. than just with the placards outside. And with the content on Podium, do you see... um do you see a lot of the kind of activism that's going on at the moment and action? Do you see that mirrored in the content quite a lot? Or would you say there's a mix of people telling their own personal stories alongside the kind of what they want to see from the world? The best stories are the personal stories. And I think the activism springs from that. One that I'm thinking of is a young man who is part of a charity uh, that deals with visual difference. So there are people who've either got um, disfiguring birthmarks or um, burns um, to their faces and they are 
actively looking for change in the legislation to um, to stop any discrimination. And so talking to this young man about his story and the bullying and discrimination that he'd received, that is activism. And you mm-hmm. can't help but listen to it and be influenced and check your own response to perhaps someone who doesn't look the same mm. as somebody else. So I always think that first-person testimony is the most powerful way of changing things. Mm-hmm. And there is quite a wide range of content on Podium as well. Do you Is the, the, the brief to, to young people just tell whatever story that you would like and is on your heart? It's exactly that, yes. So people can literally pitch whatever they want or if they know somebody unusual and just want to have a chat with them and send it in, that's fine. And so there is, um, you know, some of the topics I was looking on on there, binge drinking, Brexit. Are there any patterns that you see that are um, really on the hearts of young people at the moment? What I've noticed in the last year or so is that the people applying to Podium have already started their own podcasts. So I think the general theme is that people are becoming more empowered. So they're not coming to me saying, how do I get my voice out there? They're coming saying, can I share your platform? Can you give me some more advice or tips? And that's really encouraging because it almost feels like my job is done. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we'll do next. But, you know, if we've inspired enough people to, to go out there and get started by themselves, then we won't need Podium anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And because it's so easy to do with a you were saying you're saying earlier that some of your journalists just use a, a phone and if it's a bit windy they'll put a sock over the microphone so that you can't get the wind and it's accessible to anyone, isn't it? And if if we've just uh, encouraged, you know, hun- hundreds of people to go out there and start recording their story then then that will have a huge impact on on the world. That's right. So if you could go back to when you first started Podium, knowing all that you know now, would you do anything differently or would you give yourself any advice? I think I'd have learnt all the uh, social media shortcuts a lot faster. (laughs) I do feel like a digital dinosaur and uh, every time I get a work experience person um, I spend the first day um, feeling embarrassed about the fact that my tweets take so long for me to put together and and I tend to second check them with them and say you know is this emoji all right you know so I think uh, I would have probably had more of a crash course in social media but again that has developed so much in the last six years um i think there are probably platforms well certainly like snapchat that didn't even exist then so Mm -hmm. it's about getting your message out there and that i found is the most efficient way of doing it i think i'd have also been bolder in my uh, outreach so getting more and more schools and universities involved and people who aren't in full-time education we've worked with um, young people in foster care or ex-offenders I, I really would want the reach to be as wide as possible sure I'm sure that's very helpful advice for, for people starting their own thing casting a, a wide net so tell us a, a bit more about the future of Podium what projects have you got going on at the moment and, and what might we expect in the coming years as well Well, I'd love you to listen out for a new series of global podcasts that we're making with our partner organisation, News Decoder. They're based in Paris and they work with foreign correspondents around the world, encouraging young people to tell international stories. So that will be coming out in November and a really exciting way of hearing stories like um, experience of the Venezuelan crisis, but from young people based there. The other big thing we're doing is drama podcasts. So we're running workshops all around the country in Belfast, Edinburgh, Derby, London and Oxford for young people to spend a weekend writing, getting your story out there in a fictional way, just another way of telling your story. And then those ideas can be developed and perhaps turned into something that is broadcast on the BBC or somewhere else. So we're really, really excited about the potential of both of those projects. 
Great. And one last question. What advice would you give a, a journalist student coming out of uni or someone coming out of any course from uni who wants to get into journalism? Um, what advice would you give them to get started? Well, you've said it, get started. Uh, I've met people who've said, oh, I'm not a journalist. And I said, well, you've got a blog, you've got a podcast that you make, you are a journalist, you can be 14, 15 and be a journalist. So don't feel that it's something that you have to start when you're 21, when you've just come out of university. It's something you can start much earlier. So my advice would be, get writing, get recording, talk to as many people as you can. And if you really, really want this to be your career you will make it but it's a tough tough world out mm. there so it may be that your journalism skills get used in a different context when you're actually out in the labour market so don't feel disappointed if you don't find a job in journalism everything you learn through training with Podium or anywhere else will stand you in good stead for your future career that's great thank you Camilla for joining us really good to hear about Podium and wish you all the best for it thanks very much It was great to hear from Camilla and everything she's doing at Podium. What stood out to you two? Yeah, for me, I think um, I really enjoyed the bit where she talked about the positive news and how news in today's age, um, well, I guess news are probably the same for years now, that they focus on negativity and like they think that's the only thing that people want to hear. But I think if we want to build a better society, we do need to bring some more positivity into the world because I think you know um, what you listen to what surrounds you is what shapes you as a person and ultimately as a society I think if you want to see positive change you need to share positive stories I really like that notion of the more you talk to people not like you the better you understand the world and it made me think and it's a it's a challenge I think for me and the, the, the more I've been thinking about it how much do my the friends I have look and sound like me mm. how much the people I rub shoulders with look and sound like me and that in our in the, the difference in the kind of the different perspectives that people bring that shapes our outlook on the world and, it, and I love the whole power of story uh, and and I love kind of talking about stories and sharing stories and hearing other people's stories but not just for the sake that it gets to know them better but I get to see the world through a different lens and I help to kind of work out my own lens Mm. in the process and what are the things that I have maybe not seen before what are the things that I should be looking out for that I might not do because of the lens I look through yeah so good and I think like you said you know that power of the story to do that and it's why it's so important for us to share our own stories as well and I think thankfully I think like growing up in church you get quite a lot of sense of that like you know share your testimony which is great Um, but I think yeah specifically like share what you're passionate about share what's what's really like on, on your heart at the time and you know that's the only way I guess people start to have that like better view of what's happening in the world and you know like Camilla was saying how you know the best kind of the best stories are personal the best activism like springs out of that and I think sometimes it's like a bit tempting to try take on everything and be like ah so many issues but I think sometimes actually you need to kind of just like scale back and be like you know what actually what what is on my heart what do I care about and even if it's like something that's quite specific to the UK or something you can start to 
you can take that issue and then look at it internationally and see actually how does this work all across the world so yeah i really enjoyed that chat i thought it was really interesting and hopefully a lot of people are inspired to start their own journalism so that's it for this episode thank you everyone for listening we're back on the 18th of november where we'll be chatting to gospel singer and church and justice mobilizer seth pinnock if you like what you heard today then make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at we are tear fund <laughs>